This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, start like 23. Just that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, too full like OB. Just that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, shoot my shot, dance This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, right around swung my trees. This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, start like 23. This that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, too full like OB. Just that jump man, jump man, jump man, jump man, shoot my shot, dance Like Kobe, I'm the greatest to ever do it. They don't know it. Straight from the streets where the shots came blow. I came from the bottom where they hate to see you blow. Mama always told me I'm a shine, so I glow. I came from the block where I stood ten toes. Came a long way, now I'm on the top floor. This is 1252 Sports What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Turtles Take right here on 1252 Sports Chicago. We've got a big show lined up for you guys. Uh, we're going to be joined at 7.15 p.m. by former Chicago Bears quarterback Mike Hoensey. Uh Going to be a good show. We're going to talk a lot of the current Bears as well as some history there with the Bears organization with him. Going to go into the NBA playoffs a little bit later in the show and get you guys up to date on that. And of course, we got to be talking about the Cubs to wrap the show up because obviously, as Vince is over there, we're both Cub fans and El Mago had a hell of a play the other day, but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. So what's up, Vince? How are we doing tonight? Man, put some respect on their name. First place Cubs. First place Cubs. That's a good feeling, isn't it? Always better when the Cubs are in <clears> first place. Definitely not something we expected, but we'll get to all that a little bit later. Uh, to start the show, I want to talk about some Bears, man. Obviously, uh, the hype around Justin Fields keeps going up, right? I think I uh, saw something the other day that three of three of his jerseys are in the top five most sold jerseys right now. Yeah, him and uh, him and Tim Tebow, they got the they got a lock <laughs> on that top five, man. It's uh, it was funny, you know, people were guessing Brady, Mahomes, different guys, and it turns out that. It's well, I guess they're not two rookies, but you got a guy that hasn't played in the league in what eight, nine years. Right. And, and a rookie are got the top five. We got Tim Tebow's in one and two with his his green jersey is one and his black jersey is two. And then uh, Justin Fields has the navy is three, the orange is four, and the white is five. Hey, I love it though, because that just shows that this fan base is all in on Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah. I- which I think we already knew, right? I mean, as soon as that draft pick was made, it was a, a surge towards Justin Fields, and people are already predicting, is he going to start week one? When when will he start? Not so much of if, but when. Right. And, you know, realistically, looking at his competition being Andy Dalton, and I, I guess you throw Nick Foles into that mix if he's still on this team like he's by then. I feel like he's a guy, man. I feel like everybody forgets that Nick Foles is even on his team anymore. 
Yeah, you know, and that's the nature of the beast, right? They go out and Absolutely. get Andy Dalton. They shared these videos of him in the boxing gym calling him QB1. Uh, the Bears PR department has got to be having a tough time right now after sharing all that. And then obviously we go up and make the move for Justin Fields and it's a completely different dynamic in the town. I mean, uh, I saw the other day on Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN Chicago, they were talking to former Bears quarterback Jay Cutler and he actually had kind of the unpopular opinion of let the kids sit. Uh, he actually, I believe, said that Andy Dalton has this, that he's, you know, a capable quarterback and he's going to be able to. I feel like everybody blew that out of proportion. So I listened to the interview on the radio. And so they were talking about him and he said, well, first he was messing with Sylvie and he said, well, you know, because Sylvie was like, oh, obviously we're all in. And he was like, well, why? Why are you all in? <laughs> yeah, I did like and- that. You know, and he was just messing with Sylvie. But then he asked him, he said, look, he said, I haven't watched enough film on him to tell you exactly what I think of him. He said, but I know he's got a good arm. He's got the arm strength. He he can move. He's, you know, got an accurate deep ball. He right. won a lot at Ohio State. All the good things you like to hear. You know, and they, but he said, don't, don't rush him in there. There's no reason to. You know, you can actually – and it was more just a, hey – don't don't rush it. Don't ruin them, and don't panic. That Andy Dalton is capable. He could do this. You can win games with Andy Dalton, which I agree with him. I I said that all along. I think you know if you look at the team that they've put together now, even just take Justin Fields out of the equation for right now, you, this team is better than it was the time of the signing of Andy Dalton. So now oh. you like the Andy Dalton if you if that's your quarterback, you trust him more now than you did before. So. I would have right. to agree. I think they could win games with Andy Dalton if they had to. Yeah, and I'm not saying that they couldn't win games with Andy Dalton. Obviously, he's a – I don't want to say skilled, but he's a hes a capable veteran, right? I think he's a little bit more than a game manager. You know, we, we I, hear game manager a lot, guys that aren't going to give away the game. They're going to give you going to keep you in it. I think he's a little more than that. I think he's a guy that can go win games, especially, you know – with Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney taking that next, if he takes that next step this year. And, you know, I mean, as, as much as we don't like him, and we've talked about some of his shortcomings on this show, Anthony Miller still is a capable wide receiver. He's a guy you could put out there. He could be at number three and number two. You know, you don't, you're not looking for him to be at number one. Anthony Miller's not on this team by the start of the regular season. But, I, I mean, look, they tried to trade him, you know, and I, I heard a lot of people – because as I've spoke very poorly about Anthony Miller before, I've gotten some backlash from some people who've watched our show and then some others who say, well, you know, Anthony Miller, I was at uh, my fantasy, the my dynasty fantasy draft, and we were just, I was talking with a Packer fan, and we were comparing the Bears and the Packers. And I said something about Anthony Miller, and he was like, yeah, the Bears tried to trade, but they couldn't even find anybody to trade with for him. It's not like the Bears were like, hey – give me a seventh round pick for Anthony Miller and all 32 teams said, no, I mean, they have a price in their mind that they believe he's worth. And if somebody doesn't match that, it doesn't give them what they feel he's worth. They're just going to hold on to him. Cause like I said, he is a capable receiver, especially if Darnell Mooney takes that next step and becomes that solid number two. Now you're looking at Anthony Miller as a number three, big difference between a guy being a number one and number three. Oh, absolutely. I don't disagree with you there. I think that, as you said, Darnell Mooney taking that next step is going to be key to the success of this offense in this upcoming season. I think he's 
he brings a lot to the table. He showed us that he's extremely capable with let's let's get the cat out of the bag and say it now a below average quarterback right uh back there in his last season so you know even if you get a guy like Andy Dalton out there I trust Andy Dalton's arm over Mitchell Trubisky's arm all day every day oh yeah definitely definitely I I couldn't agree more and you know with that being said it we're going to open up the playbook regardless of who's in the backfield. Do I want to see it be Justin Fields? Absolutely. I I want to see him take that uh, Russell Wilson type arc where he's just so good by the beginning of the season, there's no way they can't start him. That yeah, would be- I, mean, that's, I mean, that's absolutely the, the best case scenario is that the kid is just so damn good that you can't do anything but play him. You know, but right. I, I, uh, I caution people to – rein in that excitement a little bit because every quarterback, no matter how good they are, does go through growing pains. Um, I mean, I guess Patrick Mahomes didn't, but you know, everybody else does. Um, Yeah. Typically there's typically there's always that bit of a learning curve, right? Even when you have a guy that has elite talent, a good arm strength, like Justin back there, when he, whenever he is back there, uh, it's still going to take some time to go through some of those growing pains. Our guy Scott here in the chat saying he's got a feeling that Miller may be behind Goodwin on the depth chart. What's your thought on that, Vince? My boy, Scott, what's up, bro? Um, You know, I think, I think there, you know, there's a lot to be desired still with Anthony Miller that he fell short on that. You know, he, he took that, that rise that we're hoping Darnell Mooney does. And then he kind of plateaued if not even maybe even regressed a little bit. So hopefully, you know, he can work on some of that stuff. He can run some better routes. You know, the, the thing about him coming in was he ran great routes. I thought last year he didn't run very good routes. Um, you know, it, he definitely he definitely didn't do anything to help Mitch out. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I, I thought, would agree. I thought he was not where he was supposed to be on a lot of the routes. He was getting bumped off a lot. Um you know, and he just wasn't winning. You know, when you get to when Allen Robinson's on the field and they're double teaming him, you have to win when you see man coverage and one on one. You've got to be able to yes. win, especially when you're a little speedy slot guy. You know, whether you're lined up outside or or you actually are in the slot, you know, but if you're that type of receiver, you've got to win. And you've got to be able to yes. get open on the short stuff to then make plays after you get the ball in your hands. And I didn't think he did that enough. I, I didn't think he did enough of the good things to warrant, you know, being a guy that you're like, oh, yeah, he's a building piece. Um, Marquise Goodwin, man, Marquise Goodwin's fast. He straight out flies. Speedster for sure. But let's be honest, Marquise Goodwin has had his opportunities before and has never really been a guy that fought at that top of the depth chart. So, you know, it all depends what this offense looks like. I've said on this show a lot of times, I think this offense is going to look a lot like Kansas City. Um, yep. You know, they've added a lot of speed, Demiri Bird, Marquise Goodwin, um, you know, guys that straight out fly, 428, 427 speed. Um, you know, it's hard to find. You don't see a lot of it, but unfortunately, a lot of the guys that are fast like that, they have a hard time with the rest of their game. I mean, if he had all those tools and he was a guy that, you know, you felt like he was a starting receiver, he wouldn't be on his fifth team in the NFL or fourth team, whatever it is. Because guys that run that fast usually hey, have a spot for. Her. So we'll see. Right. You know, we'll see what he does. We'll see where it all goes from here. And I like the I like the addition. 
And, you know, just to kind of segue to a different opinion, I think the the most important position of this offense is going to be Cole Komet. You know, you look at the Kansas City offense, other than Tyreek Hill, who is just an absolute one, one in a million. There is no other Tyreek Hill in the NFL. Right. Not to that level anyways. No. So when you look at that offense in Kansas City, which we expect this Bears offense to mirror that of Kansas City, where does it come from? You see, it runs and it everything runs through Travis Kelsey. So if Cole Komet right. going to be that Travis Kelsey role, he's going to have to take keep taking those steps forward. And ultimately, that's why they went out and they used that second-round draft pick on him a year ago because they felt he was that good. And it took a long time to get him out on the field, you know, we saw a lot more Jimmy Graham than we expected. Um, True Matt you know, Nagy fashion. You know, uh, the kid was the kid was raw. I mean, he played a lot at uh, Notre Dame, but I mean, it wasn't a traditional. Hey, you're our pass catcher. You know, he was on the line. He blocked a lot. He did a lot of different things. I think the kid's got a lot of talent. We saw at the end of last year. Can he keep taking those steps forward? That's what's going to determine this. You know, if he's a guy that. Right continues to develop and if you talk about an offense that has Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, Daz Newsome, if these guys all start to develop and start to evolve together, now you've got that off that offense that looks scary. You got guys with speed. You got guys that can catch and get you the first down on third and short, third and five. You've got the possession guys. You've got the run after the catch. You've got a quarterback like Justin Fields, who is a weapon with his legs as well. Um, you know, we talked about a few weeks ago. The thing I like about Justin Fields is he keeps his eyes up downfield. You know, even when he Definitely. runs, he's looking to throw the ball. You know, we see Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson's a game changer with his legs, but there's been a lot of times that he's left a lot to desire with his arms. So we'll have to yeah. see where that goes and where this offense can go. That's yeah. And that's one thing, you know, with the Lamar Jackson type comparison is that I don't see the two in the same when it comes to arm strength and just Justin's raw ability to throw the ball is clearly superior to what we saw out of Lamar in college. In my opinion, I think, I think you see some similarities there, but there's also some striking differences as well. You know, I mean, the, the, the thing is, you know, you hope he is, but until we see what he does in the NFL, a lot of guys – don't forget, Mitch looked like he was the guy in college too. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, we'll, we'll, you have never... be, we'll have to see when he gets out there. Like I said, hopefully everything is what we think it is and he gets out there and like you said, he looks like – not looks like Russell Wilson, but that that trajectory where he's so good that you can't help but put him on the field. Yeah, that's what we would all love to see. Uh, our guest here has actually joined us in the green room, guys. Before we bring him on, we're going to play a quick word from our sponsor, Nick and Ivy Brewing. Hello, this is Paul from Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. We are located at 1026 South State Street in historic downtown Lockport, Illinois. We are very excited to be partnering up with the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show, as well as the 1252 brand, because we are one of the few Chicagoland breweries that embrace sports and sports culture. Come in for a fresh brewed beer made right here in Lockport while catching the game of your favorite team. Stay for the live music that we have booked every weekend. Or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. 
stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y brewing.com. Come in today for fresh brewed beer born and raised in Lockport, Illinois. All right, guys, and again, we're back. That was a quick word from our sponsor, Nick and Ivy Brewing, out in beautiful downtown Lockport, Illinois. Uh, they got the Fat Mike beer coming out here in about a month or so, I believe, so excited to try that. Uh, big deal for our buddy Fat Mike Chicago here on the 1252 Sports brand. Uh, great place if you're in the area. Be sure to stop out there and give Paul and his team a look. Great beer, great atmosphere. Uh Beautiful downtown setting, so really great place to stop into if you guys have the chance. Now, Vince, I'm going to let you introduce our guest here since you were the one that made this interview happen. You want to go ahead and introduce our guest? We'll bring him in. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we're going to be joined by former Chicago Bear quarterback, former arena football quarterback, and former arena football head coach, Mike Cohensee. Mike, how are we doing tonight? We're doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing We're good, well. Coach, we're doing good. Yeah, good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Man, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Man, I'll tell you what, you know, we t- I talked a couple weeks ago about we have our own little group chat with the guys from 1252, and we were talking about having you on, and right away they were like, oh, man, the strike quarterback. We got I got to hear all about the strike. <laughs> so before we even get into anything else, can you walk us through a little bit? How did how did that even come into play? You know, how did that come about oh, goodness. being the starting quarterback? Well, it, it started. It's funny. It's a long story. It started with, um, you know, I played arena football and we were in the offseason at that time. And I was actually bartending um, out in Maryland. And I got home probably three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. You know, you got to clean up all that kind of stuff. And there was a note. I was I was running a room from a guy who was a cop. And he said, "Yeah, the Bears called. They want you to come play for them." And I'm thinking the guy's messing with oh, me. Wow. Right. In the morning, I go. I throw the note on the floor. I go to sleep. Right. And uh, you know, I get up what, probably about noon. And he said, uh, "Did you get my note?" I said, "What note?" He said, "The one about the Bears." I said, "Yeah, I thought you were just joking." He said, "No, they called. They want you to come play. There's going to be a strike." Next thing you know, I'm in Chicago. That's crazy. It's, wow. It is crazy. It you is know, crazy. The, the whole, as long as I've known you, I don't think I've ever heard that story. It was just yeah. something that, you know, everybody knew that it happened, but I think a lot of people didn't really know how it came about. That's, you know, when you're playing football, especially, you know, when you're not making a ton of money, you do anything to make money just so you could keep playing football. I used to work yeah. construction. I was a bartender. I did all kinds of things just so I could keep playing football. And probably don't want to say the word that we use. We always say you're a football whore. It's how you, how you work it, you know, because you do everything you can to keep playing. You love the game. Right. Oh, absolutely. That's very interesting story there for sure. So what was it like initially just getting to the city of Chicago? It was and- awesome. It was awesome. My roommate, my roommate was Sean Payton. He, was, he got, a, got kind of a big job, you know, up down there <laughs> in New Orleans right now. Yeah, um, I think we've heard of him. Yeah, we've yeah, heard of him once or twice. He's okay. He's doing all right. And, um, you know, it was it was difficult because we kind of got thrown in together. You know, obviously we had to learn a playbook in a week and right. get ready to play. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy playbook. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure that 
everyone really wanted us there. You know, they it was part of their job, so they had to be right. going and dealing with us. Uh, but I thought the guy that handled it the best was the head coach, Dicka. I mean, he, he made us feel relevant. He made us feel like pros. And if you went out there and you worked hard, you were rewarded. And, um, you know, we, we felt like we were NFL kids. We were out there. Some of us, this was the only chance we got. Right. So, you know, we took advantage of it. Oh, absolutely. Very cool. Uh, just touching on that, being able to play under Coach Ditka, can you tell us a little bit what he was actually like? Oh, man, he was, he was, in my opinion, the smartest guy in the room, no matter what room he was in. I thought he was one of those coaches that could have taken over anybody's meeting and probably done it better than they were doing it. Wow. Well, from my okay. viewpoint, anyway, um, you know, he was, you know, I played for my dad when I grew up. So, you know, <laughs> you know, I was used okay. to being coached hard. Right. So, you right. know, you know, he, and he jumped me a few times out there, but I think the main thing that I remember, you know, he'd make you feel, you know, like you're a foot high, but he brought you back up before he left you. You know, I remember okay. him screaming at me about something and uh, before he left, he says, I, I know you could do better. I've seen you do better already since you've been here and you've only been here a day. So I knew right then that I was getting an honest coach that was going to coach me and try to make me better. Oh, absolutely. And that's all you can ask for at the end of the day. I mean, obviously, a lot of guys have commented on Ditka's style and said, you know, he's a little bit rough at times, but it's good to hear you say that you know, he would kind of break you down, but he'd build you back up at the same time. That's exactly what you want to see in a coach. And Well, I think, I think, you know, he didn't know us, you know what right. I mean? So I think that was the really the smart approach by him to kind of maybe step out of his comfort zone a little bit. You know what I mean? What he wasn't, you know, when he oh, yeah. knew everybody so well before he didn't have to, you know, walk around like he's walking on eggshells where he didn't know our egos. He didn't know what we were all about with our confidence. So I thought he really went about it well and, and he got the results. That's very, very cool. cool. So give, give us a little bit now. So you started what? You started two games with the Bears? Yes. Uh, so after, started so the Philly game. The Philly game, they flew us out there, and they woke us up at 2.30 in the morning uh, the day of the game and bust us uh, to the stadium, and we slept in the locker room uh, to, avo <laughs> to avoid the, the, the line, the strike wow. line. That's okay, cool. wow. That, that's, uh, that's a pretty amazing story, and we, we used our – Equipment bags for pillows, and you know that you know it was legit. We were down in the locker room sleep and getting ready for the game. It's not what you think of when you hear, you know, the NFL. You think all the all the bells and whistles and here oh, well, in the know, locker room. The more the more I think back on it, I think it was just kind of preparing me for arena football. Down <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. So you played the two games, and then kind of walk us through what how that went. Now, did you know when you went down there that you were going to be the starting quarterback? No, absolutely not. None of us knew none of us really knew much. We just knew there was an opportunity. So we went there, we tried out, you know, we did what we could. Um, you know, we kind of, you know, a lot of us knew each other because there was quite a few of the arena guys that got picked up, at least in Chicago. Because um, Gene Noodle was a guy who, you know, was one of the coaches in arena football, and he helped a lot of the guys get, get on the roster, or at least get a chance to be on the roster. Yeah. So, you know, it was kind of a feel-good initially, which I think kind of helped a lot of us thrive early on, maybe even more so than some of the guys who weren't coming from arena football that were trying to get on that roster. Oh, that makes sense for sure. I mean, it's just such an interesting dynamic to hear about the strike and kind of the perspective that that brought. I mean, obviously, like you said, there were some guys that may not have been there had the strike not happened. So right. it's – 
it's something that is a piece of NFL history, right? It's something. No that, doubt. I mean, it's part of it. I mean, you know, one of my one of my other guys that I hung out with, who was my roommate in arena football, was Mike Stoops. I don't know if you remember Mike Stoops. Okay. You know, his brother down in Oklahoma, and I think yeah. he ended up with yep. Arizona or something like that. Uh, but just just an amazing football player. And he got a chance as well. You know, I think his, his, his body was kind of like mine. His body failed him a little bit, you know, early in his career. And, you know, he had to get into coaching. And obviously it was a good move for him. Okay. Now you, you kind of hinted at that a little bit. Did you uh, have some injuries there in your playing career that I had, I had a few, you know, here and there. Um, I mean, I'm paying for it now uh, in, in, okay. in my old age. Uh, but yeah, I had I had a few injuries, but you know I, I played for a long time, and played played with a lot of injuries as well. So if you look at a lot of pictures, you'll see knee braces and things like that. I, you know, I had a broken wrist, a fractured sternum, a, a couple knee deals going on. I had a real bad ankle going into one of the arena league games. Uh, you know, I had a neck injury at the end of my career in arena football. So yeah, I, I had my share. There's no doubt about it. But I think it gave me an appreciation for when I was a coach and my players uh, got hurt or they had something go wrong. You know, I think you know, I had the capacity uh, to be, you know, to, to feel for them a little bit and to understand where they're coming from and understand the anxiety they had. They were going to lose a job, a paycheck. And was this the end of their career that they thought was just, just getting going, you know? So it's, uh, it, it kind of gave me a perspective that I think helped me become um, and some people have called me a player's coach, which, which I, I don't care. You know, we, we all tried to win no matter what players yeah. coach, whatever it is, oh, you know, absolutely. we tried to win football games. Uh, but I cared about the players. Um, you know, I, 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 I didn't let them know how much I cared all the time because I wanted them to fear for their job a little bit. And I, and hopefully, you know, be a little closer to the assistants and people like that. I was a young head coach. You know, at one point I was 28 years old, you know, coaching kids that were older than me. Wow. And I had to take oh, a stand wow. somewhere and not let people take advantage of me because I was a young kid. And, you know, some of these guys I had played with, they were my teammates at one point. So I had to take a stand somewhere. And that's kind of the approach I took early on. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's just, just such a wild dynamic. The whole, you know, not to go back, but the whole playing, like you said, you come there, you got to try out, then you got to learn the playbook in a week. <laughs> And then was there – how much added pressure was there because you guys knew that any any day the strike could be over and – We really didn't think about it. We didn't think about it. We didn't talk about it, okay. you know, especially as players. You know, the coaches brought it up every once in a while. We're still here, you know what I mean, type of thing, you know, yeah. the next week. And right. um, but, but, again, you know, if you would have stepped into our meeting, uh, you, you wouldn't have known we weren't the real dudes, you know what I mean, that we were the yeah. spare bears. You know, we were being taught – as if we were the Bears, and we took that approach. We took notes. We went out and worked our tails off, um, and we prepared just as hard. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, some of those, you know, maybe a few of those guys stuck. Most of us didn't, uh, but it's a big highlight in our life, and it's something we look back on fondly. Yeah, I mean, you know, no matter what you, you know, whether it's you or any of those other guys, I mean, you guys were in the NFL, you're professional football players. I mean, it, there's such a few percentage of people that could say that they made it to professional at that level of any sport, let yeah. alone such a tough sport like football. Yeah, and, you know, the, the thing is, you know, we were in Chicago. Chicago loved us. You know, we yeah. they, they saw what we did on the in, on the field and the effort that we put out, and that's what Chicago wants. They want those fighters, man. 
and you got you get a bunch of kids from arena football they were making 200 bucks a week you know you, you have some scrappers out there and yeah that, you know that oh, needed to work already because a lot of those kids had to play two ways in arena football mm -hmm. so you know they went there with a great work ethic and you know probably you know my my fondest story was the day i walked walked away from the bears i was walking out of the building and the other bears were coming into the building wow and I'm walking out. I, you know, I wasn't gonna make eye contact with nobody. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna right. go find my rental car and go. You know, and uh, but I heard a voice. Uh, it was Walter Payton, and he butchered my name. Okay, uh, but he said, but he, you know, yelled it out there. And I turned around. He said, "You were good." So there's a guy. You know, one of the wow. best that's ever done wow. it. That recognized that he paid attention too, and maybe not one of those guys that would have come out. And, and told everybody how proud he was of everybody, but I think he was proud of how we represented ourselves wearing the uniform. Yeah, uh, very cool to hear. That's amazing. I mean, to think, you know, not just anybody, but Walter Payton, like you said, the best to ever do it. To and, you know, the, the irony of that is he was the first original owner of the Chicago Rush. You know, he, he had the team, and then he found, he, he found out he was ill, and then he sold it. But he was the initial guy that brought arena football to Chicago. Really? Yeah, absolutely. So you play the two games, you you know, you're after after you leave the Bears, where do you, where did you go from there? Uh, I went back to arena football and got, got into coaching. You know, I was a young coach, I was an assistant coach back in uh I think it was eighty-nine. Um, me and George, George Brancato was the head coach, I was the assistant coach. He coached the line. I coordinated the offense, defense, and special team. <laughs> it was just the two of us, you know, but I knew the game. I was in it for two years. I paid attention. My dad was a coach, so, mm -hmm. you know, I knew it was something that I wanted to do, and we had a blast. And then uh, the next year I became a head coach, and, you know, really the, the rest is history. You know, moved around a little bit. My wife and I have – we're going on 29 years of marriage, and we've moved 17 times. Wow. So, you know, wow. 17. Thank God, you know, she's a hospice nurse. Thank God, you know, she's been able to get a job wherever we went. But, you know, she, she's been she's been my partner in life, man. She's, she's awesome. She's been my biggest fan, my supporter, and couldn't have done any of this without her. So then you – when did you become – what year was it you became the head coach in Chicago? And how did, how did, how did it bring you to Chicago? It, you know, it's funny. I was, the, I was trying to become the coach that was the um, – New York Knights, I think, were going to have a team. And then they were, they were I think they were going to fold before they were going to start up again. You know, it was very volatile those first years. And um, got a call from the owner, uh, and I was out in New York, and he said, can I talk to you about possibly coming out to Chicago? And I knew nothing about Chicago having a team, any of that. And so I said, you know what, you know, let me talk to my wife. You know, because you know, at least 17 times I had to use that line. <laughs> and uh, right. and uh, we talked about it. And I said, okay. So I went out for an interview. And, you know, it's, it's funny. You go through life and you, you wonder if you're good enough. And I never didn't get a job that I interviewed in person for. If I was able to sit across from somebody, I got the job. Now, it's, it's easy to say no on the phone. Right. So I didn't right. get them all. Uh, but anytime I got a, I got a chance to sit in front of somebody, and get that interview, I think because I'm who I am. I'm not trying to be somebody else. You know what I mean? I mean, I've been around unbelievable people in my lifetime, and I realized, you know, what what makes you the best is you. 
not trying to be somebody else. And uh, I think people appreciated that. I think my players appreciated that. My assistant coaches who, you know, I don't even think of as assistants, man, we worked together on everything that we did and they, they made me better. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard work when you go out there and you, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your career, especially when you're young. But, you know, having a supportive wife uh, was, was a big part of me coming out to Chicago because she was from Schenectady, New York, you know, up in upstate New York and her whole family lived okay. in, in one town. And we were going to be, the, you know, I was at the top of the son-in-law totem pole for a while till we moved out of town. Right. <laughs> and I don't even know if I'm back on the totem pole anymore. But we're, you know, but we're back here in Chicago and we, we fell in love with it. We've been out here since 2001. So okay. walk us through a little bit, you're, you know, not to fast forward too far, but, you know, you come to Chicago, Arena Bowl 20, you know, everything that went into that, um, well, you know, but before I turn it over to you, you know, just a little background that season, you know, you guys were, you, you guys went the road like Pittsburgh, you guys were the wild card, you guys were playing on the road. Exactly. You know, give us, just talk a little bit about not only going through that season, but how the season developed and oh, being on the road crazy. every week for the playoffs and ultimately leading up to that, winning that championship. Well, it's, it's crazy, you know, that, that, that season we won our first two games, um, then we had a bunch of injuries. And that was a, that was a season where we thought we had a lot of talent. Um, and then we had a bunch of injuries. We lost seven of the next eight games. And but if you would have came and watched us work, you would you would have thought you you'd have thought we were eleven and zero. And um, we just had a bunch of veterans that knew how to knew how to work. And we just kept talking about we're gonna get healthy. We just got to make sure that we're in a position to do something with it. Once all our guys came back, and it got towards the end of the regular season with about three or four weeks to go and we were going to um, have to win almost all our games just to get into the playoffs. And a kid named Bobby Scipio came up on the wire. And this is a kid that came with a lot of baggage and, you know, un unfairly most of the time. And, you know, I'm talking to my coaching staff about it. You know, do we take a chance on this kid? And we had done, we had made a trade the year before with somebody to switch positions, you know, uh, as far as taking people off the wire based on record. And when we when we okay. made the trade, we figured they'd be pretty high up on the list and we'd be pretty low because we'd have a good record, they'd have a bad record. So all of a sudden Bobby Scipio came and we were number one to get him off the waivers. So talked to the staff, I said, you know what, I'm gonna let my hair down and we're gonna take this kid. We're gonna take a shot. And I remember, you know, we made the trade. I remember <laughs> I remember talking to Bobby Scipio on the phone. And he said, Coach, you know, he butchered my name too. He said, Coach, whatever. He said, you know, I'm not trying to get to Chicago. And uh, I said, you know, I wasn't trying to get here either, but I'm here and I'm loving it. And I said, you know, I, I, I think you're a fantastic football player, and, but I want you to understand we're, we're bringing you here to win a championship. And I said, you're coming here with two strikes. Okay. You know, I, I think I was the only one that really wanted you and took a chance on you. And I don't think it's a chance because I think you're a phenomenal football player. I said, but when you come here, I'm not going to try to cut you down in front of everybody ever. But if I ever say strawberry daiquiri, that means you're taking it a little too far. Okay. So if I say strawberry daiquiri, I'm just going to go on my way. You know, you're walking that line between before you and me have to meet in my office and it goes somewhere. Neither one of us wants it to go. And I think he appreciated that. And he, I never had to say it. And uh, the kid worked his butt off. He was an unbelievable teammate. 
And, you know, he, he wasn't the reason we won the Arena Bowl, but he was the reason we got there. You know, he helped us uh, beat a lot of good football teams to get into the playoffs. We had to win our last two games, regular season games, and then we had to win four playoff games in a row on the road. So, you know, six road games. Oh, wow. And like you said, it was like like Pittsburgh. And um, I remember all the experts picking against us, picking against us, picking against us till we got to that week before the Arena Bowl. And then there were some believers. And, uh, you know, we played <laughs> extremely well. We had a you know a quarterback named Matt Gerazio, who was a juryman on other teams in the Arena Football League, uh, you know, a starter sometimes, not a starter. And I, I just love the way the guy competed. So when he came here, I coached his butt off. I coached him hard. So it was basically him competing against me. And, um, you know, so – and he was an unbelievable leader. Uh, he was a, a big play kid. The moment never got too big for him. And I think he wanted to win that championship for his teammates as, as much as he wanted to win it for himself. And uh, I think Matt Durazio was probably the biggest reason we won that Arena Bowl just because of the way he bonded that team. He was funny. He was smart. He was talented. And he didn't have that big ego because he didn't come from a big ego. He was happy to be right. there. You know what I mean? And he grew with all of us during that season. And it was just it was just the perfect pairing. And it's just, it's one of those teams that I'll never forget because, you know, I don't know if we're going to go down as one of the best teams ever, but I put that team against any of them. You know, I mean, in you know, I luckily, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have been a fan and know some of the guys and, you know, know a lot of the, that season, but, you know, just some of the crazy things that happened, some of the field goals that were kicked <laughs> and just some of all the different things. And if I remember, I wasn't, wasn't Matt Hurt going into the championship game. No, 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 not that game. That was the next year. Oh, it was the next year? Okay. That was the next okay. season, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, yeah but I mean, it's, you know, it was crazy to, as a fan, you know, to to be a part of it and now to hear, you know, all the backside. I mean, you know, you talk about Bobby Scipio. I remember him coming and, you know, you're watching five touchdowns, six touchdowns, six crazy. touchdowns. Start calling him six-pack Scipio. Yeah, he started he, catching six touchdowns a week. And you see probably, you guys win probably one of the week. smartest players I've ever coached. You know, he didn't okay. want to come across as that. You know what I mean? He wanted to be one of the boys, but he, he was smarter than any of our quarterbacks. I can tell you that. He used to run a post. He'd run that post route, and if he saw the guy waiting for him, he'd just point. He'd point over there. He'd tell the quarterback where to throw the ball. <laughs> you know, it's, just, oh, it's, it's, just so you know, it's wild to hear you talk about it. You know, a, a lot of coaches, especially nowadays, I think a lot of coaches would have been like, ah, we don't want that guy. He's a problem. He can't help us. He's too much of a liability. And to hear you talk about, you know, the what went into and then making that decision to go get him the, and the production you got from it. The key to us being able to take Bobby Scipio at that time, and Bobby Scipio, believe me, was was unbelievable while he was here uh, as a person and as a teammate. Um, the key to that whole thing was we had confidence in the people we already had in the building. We could, right. that even if he didn't become a great teammate, we were going to be able to absorb that cat, okay, and go out there and beat everybody. We're going to use him. We're going to use. He was going to think he was going to use us, okay. We're going to use him for his talents, and just bring everybody, all the great leaders that we already had, the great citizens, the great people that went out in the community, the people that loved Chicago Rush that wore the uniform. They were going to absorb that guy, mm -hmm. and what ended up happening was Bobby Scipio came in. And did what he had to do to fit in, you know, which was was beautiful because we really we really did deserve that year to have a chance. And Bobby Scipio gave us that chance. 
when we were just missing that piece. We had a okay. whole bunch of we had a whole bunch of good players, but we needed that dude. We needed that dude who struck fear in everybody in the secondary every time he went in that high motion. And he was he was it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was crazy to be around as a fan for that. You know, Andrew, I know you don't know a lot about arena football, but as this show has gone on, we've uh, you know, we've had a few on. We had Steve Edwards and Reggie Gray and Derek Ross and now Coach Honeck. Man, they yeah, used to play State Arena. A lot. They used to play at All State Arena, man. That place was sold out every it's week. Standing room only. It, that place rocked. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, and it's crazy, you know, to think from you coming from the NFL and that to, you know, but what was it like every week being out there with a staff? It was unbelievable. You know, it, it really was like family. You know, we'd walk out there, and you know how arena football was. We were so accessible. Right. And to me, right. it's the other way around. The fans were so accessible. You know what I mean? We didn't have to worry about them because it was already that culture of we're together, we're family. Arena football is different. You know, we're going to bring the, you know, the, the game to the stands. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the stands onto the field. And the way that we interacted with our fans, with all the on-field uh, games and contests and things that we did was different, was unique. And I think right. arena football really propelled that. And now all the major uh, sports are doing those type of things. But, you know, when we when we came out and we saw the thunder sticks in the stands, we know we were going to win. That was one of the things we talked about all the time. I walked out there with the coaches, oh, Thunder sticks. We got this one. You know, it was just, you know, because we took advantage of it. Our fans were unbelievable. And then in 2006, when we won the, won the world championship in Vegas and we brought it back and when we celebrated and had the ring ceremony with our fans out in the audience, it, it was, it was unbelievable because we had somebody to bring it back and share it with, you know what I mean? To, to open those oh, rings and look at them and, and let them see it at the same time, because, you know, we, we went, you know, we started 2001, so we went five, six years without winning it and mm-hmm. teasing them. You know, we were good. We were in the playoffs every year, but we didn't get there, you know. Right. And I, knew, I told Coach House, Coach Houseman, you know, once we got – if we get there, we're going to win it. But, man, we got to get past those semifinals. You know, we were in the semifinals three times, three out of those five years, and didn't get in. So, you know, once we did it, it was, it was what it was supposed to be. The way we shared it with the fans, our front office was unbelievable. Mike Poliski, what was unbelievable. Tom Door was our radio guy. Mike North was our radio guy. I mean, you know, I had those characters, man. Mike North. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, but but everyone bought into it. You know what I mean? There was no bad mouthing each other. I mean, it was, it was all about the love of the game and and appreciation for where all these players and coaches had come from. You know that no one was big time in anybody, man. Everyone appreciated being there and being in the building when you got there, and it showed in their effort. And you, know, you can never come out and watch us practice and say we're going through the motions, ever. And that's one of the things I'm proudest of. That's why we had so many banners hanging up. Awesome. Very good stuff, Coach. Real quick, before we let you go, I got to ask. Obviously, you follow the Chicago Bears currently, correct? A little bit, yeah. A little Absolutely. bit. Yeah, Matt so, Nagy's the head coach, the old arena guy. Yeah, the arena right. ties. So – the buzz around Chicago has been great with Justin Fields since the Bears moved up to draft him. Can you give us your thoughts a little bit on Justin Fields and what he's going to do for this Bears team? Well, you know, I, I think he's already done a lot for the Bears team. You know, I think he's done a lot for the city already. You know, there's a lot of hope there. You know, this this ain't just another kid they picked up later. I mean, this is a first-round draft pick that should have probably been taken even earlier, in my opinion. Yeah. This kid's extremely talented. He's tough as nails. 
He makes good decisions. He can make every throw that there is. He's as fast as just about anybody in the NFL. And it's right now, it's just a matter of can you get everyone else around him to play at the same speed with the same confidence? You know, what and what you got to do is you got to let this rookie go. You got to let him run and be who he is. Don't try to change him. You know, you drafted somebody, okay, for a lot of reasons. You can't take those reasons away and squash those reasons. You got to let this guy go out there and compete. And, you know, you got that defense out there, and that defense, they need that. They need somebody who strikes fear in another defense as opposed to them having to be worried about somebody all the time. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen. I, I really believe this is going to be good for Matt Nagy as a play caller. I thought his hands were tied a little bit with what he had going on. And I just think – I don't know if there was an overall offensive confidence with the guys that they had there before, okay? There was a lot of smiles and a lot of yeah, 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 and saying the right things in front of the camera. But that's different when you get in that locker room and you and you watch a guy work and you see him make the same mistakes over and over and over again. You know, my big saying when I coach was make a new mistake, okay? Because if, you, if, if you're making the same one, either you're not smart enough or it doesn't mean enough to you. And at the professional level, neither of those two things are acceptable. Okay, and you got to move on if that's the case. So, you know, I, I think they, they made a great choice. And I'm, I'm rooting for the guy. I hope he's here for a dozen years. I really do. And I hope he, he's a Hall of Fame player down the road. Uh, but, you know, he's going to need a lot of help from his teammates because no one does it by themselves, ever no. does it by themselves. And, you know, this is a, this is a quick to judge town. You know, we had to wait quick as the rush. Otherwise, we wouldn't have existed, period. And, you know, they're going to have to do well, and they're going to have to make some big plays. They're going to have to be exciting. And I, the thing I worry about, the, the thing that was toughest for Nagy is they hit that upright. They hit that upright a few years ago. Right. That was, that I, was, was I was there when that happened. I that saw was the it team. live at Soldier Field. That was a Super Bowl team. Were they going to win? I don't know. But that's a Super Bowl team. It was made up a little different. Okay, and most of the stars were on the defensive side. Okay, but right. they had those kids rolling on the offensive side. And you could see the shock on Nagy's face. It was shock that they lost that game because I know that feeling when you feel you're the best and you can beat anybody. And that's how they felt at that point. And when that ball hit that upright <laughs> and dinged a couple times, uh. that took a lot of air out of a lot of things in that organization, unfortunately. So as a coach, talk a little bit about we've we've had a lot of people on this show and we've talked to ourselves. You spoke on it when from that game going forward, they hit the upright, they lose that game. What how do you go from that to where Mitch looked like he was playing so well? I think to, you gotta talk about it. You gotta talk about it out loud. I remember when I took when arena football folded. Okay. But arena two was still around. And I in the middle of the season, I got a job down in Peoria. Okay. And unfortunately, that coach wasn't real popular down there. And all I heard was the talk about him, talk about him. I was like, I was getting sick of the talk. So in my first speech to the team, at the end of it, I said, I'm going to give you one word to say about the old coach. And then I don't want to hear another word. And I went to each guy. They said what they got had to say. And I said, that's it. If I hear anything about this coach again, you're, I'm going to cut you. Because we're about moving forward. We can't be harping on what was, you know, otherwise the complaints and everything that you're complaining about you. Okay. He's not here anymore. It's up to us to turn this thing around. And that's what you got to do with a situation like that. 
you know, the uprights, the uprights going to be there next time too. We kick. It ain't going nowhere. Okay. But we got to talk about how we felt. Okay. And we got to talk about how we're going to move on and what it's going to take. It can't be one man. And Matt took a lot on his shoulders. And I don't know if he, he, he gave that chance for everybody to speak about that because sometimes when the pain is so fresh, you got to get it out. You, you know how it is when you're mad or about something or upset about something or someone passes away. I mean, you just need to talk to somebody and get it out. And I don't know if they've ever talked about it enough, but I know Matt Nagy is an unbelievable competitor. When he was in the arena football, I mean, he willed a team to the arena football uh, to the championship as a quarterback because he wasn't as talented as he probably thinks he was. Okay, but he was an unbelievable leader and made everybody around him believe they were going to win. And I got to believe he's been around enough good people in his climb through the NFL that uh, you know he's going to be prepared for this moment too. And I think he understands the importance of what's going on around him. He ain't stupid. You know, I don't think he's listening to all the radio stations. You know, <laughs> I don't think he should. Okay, because he's a great guy and I think he's a good football coach. And and he'll figure it out. And he's got to trust the people around him. And he's got you know. And you always got to trust those vets, man. You got to be able to trust those older guys. And those are the guys that you're having man-to-man conversations with. You can't just be talking to a group all the time. You got to pull them in one by one or a couple at a time. And you got to talk about where we are as a football team. And probably my most productive meetings uh, during my career were my captain's meetings. The first meeting I had of every week was with the captains before I met with the team. And we talked about the ups and downs and I kind of gave them an idea of the direction I wanted to go. And they gave me a kind of a direction of which way they thought the team needed to go too. And I told them I wasn't going to always use their ideas, but I was going to listen. They had a sounding board. Okay. And, you know, sometimes they're going to change my mind. Sometimes they ain't. And that's just the way it is. But, you know, if you ain't got that voice, right. And I think probably one of the best things I did was listen. That was probably my best trade as a coach. Really quick, Coach, before we let you go, tell us, what are you what are you up to nowadays? Right now I'm coaching quarterbacks and receivers, uh, individuals. I'm coaching kids that are in third grade. I'm coaching kids that are in college and everyone in between. Uh, you know, I, I'm on Twitter. I'm on uh, Facebook, social media, you name it. Um, I'm having a, the time of my life. I'm 60 years old. These are like my grandkids. And, by the way, I just had a new grandson uh, a couple months ago, Makoa Silver Cloud Hoensey. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, Coach, how do they find you on Twitter and that if, they, if you know, they at, want to sign up, they want to be clients? Yeah, at Coach O on Twitter and Facebook. It's Mike Owensy, and I'm, I'm the one that usually has a picture of my grandson in the in the, in the circle there. It's a good Well, one Coach, too. man, we really, really can't thank you enough for coming on with us. Did, my pleasure. Amazing yeah. interview. Amazing. Well, appreciate it, brother. You guys Thank are doing you. a good job, and I hope you guys uh, go ahead and take Tom Doyle. Mike North spot. You never know, man. <laughs> Absolutely. You never know. Coach, thank right, you so thanks so much, Coach. You have a good All night. Right. Take care. Man, talk about a great interview. You know, he's – I've known him a long time. He's such a good guy. You know, the, the dude is tough as nails as they come too, man. He was coaching the rush, and I was going to try to get him to bring it up, but I knew he wouldn't. He was – he got ran over by a car in a jewel parking lot and he really? was walking to his car and a lady didn't see him and she hit him and dude didn't miss a game. I mean, I know it's coaching, but still dude didn't miss a game. Oh, he got hit wow. by a fucking car. You know, I mean, it, he's just, he's amazing dude. He's an amazing coach. He's done 
so many good things for so many players. And now he's even giving back even more now as, you know, like he talked about coaching quarterbacks and wide receivers, um, you know, just such a great, um, not only just to hear him talk about the game and the way he talks about the game, but the way he talks about players and how he talks about them as people. It's something that is very rare to hear a coach, especially a coach who's had so much success and, you know, to talk about people like that and just genuinely care about people. Oh yeah, definitely. I think, uh, he gave a unique perspective when it came to the Justin Fields talk for sure. You know, you hear it from a coach and it give, just gives a different light was, onto the situation. Yeah. That was know? my first thought when he started talking, I was like, man, is this different when it comes from a coach? And, you know, I was I was going to lead into the next question, you know, do you think Matt Nagy can be successful and why? And, man, he went right into it. You know, he hit it all yeah. right away. And, you know, it was just – it was, like you said, a very different perspective to hear it come from a coach versus a fan or an announcer or a player, but to hear it right. come from a, a former coach and, and, and somebody who knows Matt really well. So, I, I – Man, we can't thank him enough. Such a great, you know, honor to have him on here and hear him talk about it. You know, for, the, for those that, um, you know, are watching the show that followed him when he was a coach of the Rush. I mean, you know, those games at Allstate Arena, man, they were – it was so packed. Like, there was nothing bigger. Every Saturday night, man, that place was sold out. Like he said, there was standing room only. And they – like he said, they didn't win every year, but that year they won it. It was something special. And, you know, they hit – you know, the, the field is 50 yards. They hit 52 yard field goals and 50. I think there was like four field goals of over 50 yards at playoffs. There's a, there's oh, a wow. DVD that like talks about the story of that season. It's just was such an incredible season. And, you know, to hear him talk about what goes into the decision of adding a guy like a Bobby Scipio that had so much previous baggage as other people gave him, And to hear right. somebody say, look, I'm going to give you a fresh start. And we're going to do this and we're going to do this with you. And, you know, to hear that and talk about the the meetings with the captains and his perspective going to Chicago to to try out and wind up being the starting quarterback there for the Bears. I mean, just such such a cool interview from start to finish. Yeah, just such passion when he speaks, yeah. man. That's one thing that I can say is he is he knows his stuff top to bottom, obviously. And like you said, from start to finish, man, great interview. Really good guest. We'll we'll have to bring Coach Ho back on again. Yeah, sometime. you know the you know, I don't want to keep going with it, but you know, when the when the rush were at their biggest, man, he used to go so arena football, one of the biggest things for the fans is the tailgating. I mean, the tailgating is right. part of it. They they would go out, man, three hours before the game. They'd be out there tailgating in every single week. So they tailgated all state arena. They where the tailgate section was was where the players' entrance was when they would okay. get in the players' parking lot. And, man, I tell you what, every single week, no matter who they were playing, no matter what a game, no matter if they got smoked the week before or they blew somebody out, he would be out in that parking lot the next week thanking every single tailgater, every single fan that he passed, thanking them all for being there. He treated they, – they absolutely treated the every fan like it was the NFL. Very cool, man. Again, yeah, great interview there. Such integrity when he spoke, such unique perspective. It was awesome. Uh, real quick, guys, we're going to jump into some NBA playoff talk. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor, the Jonathan Darren team with the Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group. 
Hi, I'm Jonathan Darren, licensed real estate broker with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group in Homer Glen. Are you looking to buy or sell? Have you been disappointed in the past? The Jonathan Darren team with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group focuses on providing you with a concierge level of service during the process of buying or selling. We are a service-oriented team with a fresh and professional approach to selling real estate. Our goal is to combine knowledge, skills, and passion to exceed our clients' expectations, and most of all, we truly care. We are a knowledgeable real estate team focused on offering expertise and innovative solutions for our clients. The Jonathan Darren team has five full-service real estate brokers and a dedicated full-time marketer servicing all of Chicagoland. We will customize a detailed plan around your timeline for a sale, purchase, investment, estate, or other needs. Real estate transactions can be stressful, but don't need to be. Let us handle it for you. Visit our website, homesbyjdt.com, or call 708-308-1938 today. Expect better in real estate. Choose the Jonathan Darren team. All right, guys. Again, that was a quick word from one of our sponsors here at 1252, the Jonathan Darren team with the Coldwell Banker Real Estate Group. If you're looking to buy a home in the area, be sure to give John and his team a call. They're the best. They will get it done for you. With that being said, Vince, man, we had a lot of football talk here to start the first hour of the show, but we got a lot of other stuff going on here in the world of sports, not so much in Chicago because, as we know, the Bulls didn't make the playoffs, unfortunately. But we we watched our hopes and dreams get crushed on that live on the air. But you know, with that being said, man, that's right. I forgot about that. That sucked. We were all, well, <laughs> if they do this, they do this. And our guy, Allen, was like, oh, they just lost. Oh, right. With that being said, though, there's a lot going on in the NBA. Uh, for some, the NBA playoffs are an exciting time for a lot of reasons. I mean, you get to see the top-tier competition be played out game in and game out, and that's something that we all like to see is the highest competition level at every sport. So with that being said, man, what has been your biggest takeaway from how these playoffs have unfolded thus far, Vince? Um. Can I get off my soapbox just for like just just a little bit right before <laughs> I go into answering that question? Go ahead. Go so ahead. the biggest takeaway so far for me for this playoffs is the douchebag fans that are in the NBA. I know you don't follow <laughs> the NBA like I do, so you might not be aware of this. So Russell Westbrook plays for Washington Wizards. Yeah, I am aware at, of that. <laughs> okay. So they were playing at, at uh, Philadelphia. I think it was game two. They were playing in Philadelphia. And a fan dumped their popcorn on Russell Westbrook. I saw that. Okay. So that's bad. Not nearly as bad as the other two instances. You had, sorry for my puppy. Uh, you had Trey Young from the, from the Atlanta Hawks. Great, promising young player. They're playing the New York Knicks. That alone, that the Hawks are playing the Knicks, should be celebrated that those two franchises from – Guys like Dominique Wilkins and Patrick Ewing and guys who have made NBA what it is, those two teams finally back in the playoffs in the same year, and they go against each other. And what happens? They, it's a 1-1 series, two great games so far, this, this series. And it's all taken away from it because some idiot decided to spit on Trey Young. Yeah, I did see that as well, man. And it's it's unfortunate when anything like that happens to a player in any sport, but Really, lately, like you said, with this round of playoffs, man, we've just seen so much extra bullshit, so much extra drama that it takes away from the game and it makes it. Well, and then, you know, you have the Utah and Memphis series, same thing. Two great games, split 1-1, 
all that great, you know, Utah, number one seed, all these things. They finally go into it. Finally, and you hear that the Utah fans were being extremely disrespectful and over the line with John Morant's parents at the game. Like, you know, we especially right now coming out of, I mean, I don't want to say coming out of this pandemic because there's obviously still a lot going on in the world. But from where we were to now missing so much sports to now being able to go to these games right in time for the playoffs to this being the behavior from so many games, it really speaks volumes of, I I guess it's a sense of entitlement. These people, how, who, what gives you the right to spit on somebody, say something to somebody's parents, to throw popcorn on somebody? Like I understand at the end of the day, dumping popcorn on somebody isn't the end of the world. You didn't hit them. You didn't, it's not to the extreme that some of the other things that have happened is, but it's still just sheer disrespect. How, what makes you feel like, cause you paid money to go to a game that it gives you the right to do that. Oh, you know, I, it, just, it just absolutely appalls me. I can't. And to see it in three separate series in the very first round, when you finally get to go back to games, it's just absolutely, our guy, Angelo said it best. It's disgusting how entitled people feel. To feel the, the the day of the right to do something like that is absolutely appalling. So I'm sorry I took us down that bad path. I had to get that off my chest. It's been bothering me all week. No, no, I I understand and I completely agree. I mean, as you said, we're just getting back to a sense of normalcy here. Right. After, you know, one and a half years. And, you know, our guy Angelo's saying it right here. People suck. We should be better. We're giving this. I'm the consumer, so I get what I want. Going to a game is a privilege. Absolutely right. going to a game is a privilege. It's not a right, and you need to treat it as such. I mean, I don't want to keep going down this road, but my God, people, let's let's do better as human beings. That's all I got to say about that. Absolutely. Really. So now to get back to your original question, the biggest takeaway from, from me so far for this, this playoffs, it has to be two things. One, man, the Milwaukee Bucks look like they're on a mission, boy. They going out there. Giannis is playing out of his mind. You see why they went out and got Drew Holiday because he makes that team better. You, you know, it's very rarely do you get to see from one year to the next compared to where you were. But they literally lost in a five games to the Miami Heat, practically the same exact team that they're playing right now, where they're up three games to zero. So that, and then man, you know, I. I know you're not a fan. I know a lot of people aren't fans, but man, the Lakers, boy, they they flipped that switch. It's tough to stay with them. You know, the Anthony Lake Davis show. last night, 34 <clears throat> and 12. LeBron, 25. I mean, these guys, it, when two guys, they, they take absolutely take over the game. And when you've got a guy like Anthony Davis who really can do it all, he can play in the paint, he can shoot from the outside, he can pass the ball, he could dribble the ball. You know, and you see some of these pieces that the Lakers went out and got this year, whether it's Montrez Harrell or Andre Drummond or Wesley Matthews, Dennis Schroeder, a lot of these guys that over the course of the year, you're like, man, these guys just aren't that good. But they don't have to be because Anthony Davis and LeBron James are so damn good that when they're on, the guy, the rest of the team only has to be on. Every now and then, you know, a, a wide open three for Caruso or Caldwell Pope 
or a defensive play by Andre Drummond, it doesn't take much to get the game out of hand real quick. So yeah. for me, I think the overall takeaway has to be how just dangerous the Lakers are when they're on. Okay, and I don't disagree with you there. I do have to highlight this. Our guy Angelo saying LaFlop James. LeBron James, man. If you're listening to this, which I know you're probably not Don't going to. Don't go on a to, tangent. Don't go on. But get out of here with that flopping bullshit. I'm not ringing it in for one minute. You don't even get touched by a man, and you flop on the floor for a solid minute and 20 seconds. That is unacceptable, dude. I don't care who you are. That's just ridiculous. You're more of an actor than a basketball player at that time. And any and all respect that I had for LeBron James <laughs> in the GOAT argument went out the fucking window in that moment. When Look, I saw him I hit tried, the court. I tried to tiptoe around that without you getting too excited. No, I I tried to I tried to focus on how good Anthony Davis was. <laughs> I know you did, <laughs> and I appreciate it, but it needs mind to be said, man. You got baseball players getting hit in the face with 90 mile an hour fastballs <laughs> who are getting back up and into the game quicker than a guy who doesn't even get touched and flops on the hardwood. Switching That's direction. basketball in 2021. Switching directions. Did How about Chris Paul, man? Every single season, this dude gets to the playoffs, he gets hurt. It's like there's something in his body that this time of season or this time of year, it's just like, you know what, it's time for me to shut down. You know, well, now he's got obviously, the injury. He just, you see it's bothering him. He was dribbling yesterday with one arm pinned against his chest. Like, I mean, the dude just isn't right. I feel without without Chris Paul, I don't think they got a shot to slow down the Lakers. I agree with you there. I mean, obviously, Chris Paul's getting up there in age. He's played a lot of basketball in the NBA, and those things do take a toll on you. I mean, he does put it a lot in on the line in the season to keep that team competitive. And then as it gets to the playoffs, you're, you know, when you're playing 80 plus games in a year, that takes a toll on the body. So I I get what you're saying. It and it does suck because I really did want to see Chris Paul succeed just because I think he deserves it. And I think he deserves to be that centerpiece for a team before he's done. But man, with this last injury, I don't see it happening. I want to touch real quick though. Uh I got your kind of highlight of the playoffs so far. I want to give mine, and that has to be undoubtedly in my mind Luka Doncic that this dude, kid that is, dude is absolutely bad. wild I think his his stat line the other night he put up 39 points I know 39 7 and 7 39 7 and 7 man the kid is just tremendous and he's a rising star in this league has so much potential on that Mavs team he just makes everyone around him better in my opinion but the question I want to ask you Vince how much do you think that the Hawks are kicking themselves because they could have had Luka Doncic and now they look, got Trey Young over there? Look, Trey Young is bad. He's a he's he's a easily a top ten, maybe top seven, top five, depending how you rank him. Point guard in the NBA, he can pass. He can he shoots. He shoots the lights out the ball. You know, a lot of his stuff is missed because he's in Atlanta and there's not a big you know, basketball market in Atlanta. I don't know a lot of attention. They've been bad for a long time, but Luca right. Johnson is just different. He's next I mean, level. First off, the dude is young as hell. You know, right. a lot of times we see these guys come over in, you know, from overseas, they're already older, you know, but 
to a guy like Luca, I mean, he could he came over as a small forward. Now he's playing point guard. Now he's playing shooting guard. Then he's playing point guard. You know, the kid does it all. He rebounds. He defends. He passes. He shoots. He drives. You know, the dude is always getting knocked to the ground and banged around, and he just keeps showing up, keeps showing up, showing out. I mean, the dude. Right. There was no no doubt about it. Whether you think it's already gone or it's about to be gone, at the worst case scenario, I say next year, if not the, definitely the year after, there will be no talk of if LeBron James is the best player in the NBA. There will be no talk if Thank Kevin you. Durant is the best player in the NBA. Hands down, the future of the NBA is Luka Doncic. And for that, Agreed. Atlanta's got to be kicking themselves because at this point, who – in the NBA, out of anybody, would you rather have on your team right now than Luca? So we got a question right here in the chat that kind of parallels that. Who would you rather have on your team, Luca Doncic or Giannis Antetokounmpo? And I know I probably just butchered his last name, but actually, bro, you were spot on. Who would you rather have on? Yeah, your team? you need to record that because there's plenty of places <laughs> that would pay you just to have you say his name because they're like yeah. Giannis, because they ain't even trying that last name. I don't ever try it. It's just Giannis. Everybody knows who you're talking about. But to answer Angela's question on if it's Luca or, or Giannis, I'm taking Luca. You can keep Giannis. You can keep keep the back-to-back MVPs, keep the defensive player of the year. Luca is, the, to me, he's the best player in the NBA already. If, you know, if not, he definitely will be going into next year. I mean, like I said before, the kid does it all. He defends. He rebounds. He you know, he passes, he steals the ball, he shoots, and he just makes he, – he's a winner. Like, you know, the game gets on the line, you give him the ball. He makes these weird-ass shots that you're like, bro, what <laughs> yeah. are you even thinking taking that shot? And then you're like, oh, shit, you made it. You switched it. Wow. You know, I take it back. Right. Like, the dude is just different. He's he's absolutely, in my mind, the best player in the NBA. And oh, he honestly like- shoot anyways. So he's big. He He's long. He defends. He – dunks the ball but if i need somebody to take the ball up the court and you see what it does in the playoffs you need somebody that can handle the ball come the playoff time to me it's luca uh, hands down luca yeah i have to agree there too Giannis Antetokounmpo is an amazing player i just like hearing you say his name like i like hearing you say his name because every nobody gets it right nobody even tries it because they can't get it right you just rattle it off so nonchalantly like Giannis Antetokounmpo well one up for me then i guess but realistically he's a great paint beast. He's great in the center of the court. Great player would be a great addition to any team. Don't get me wrong. But as you said, Luka Doncic, man, this kid being so young and so versatile, really, you can put him at the two or three easily. He can hit, he can hit deep threes, like, you know, some of the best guards in the league. And then he can still play a little bit of defense. He's got the stuff to play consistently in the post. I mean, the guy's versatile as hell, and I love seeing him play. See him putting up 39-7-7, and seven, that's the future of the NBA. That's what's exciting about basketball right now, and I couldn't agree more. He's so I, before we get out of this first-round talk, I've got a question for you, and I had a question for all of our viewers and people watching and people who are going to watch this and people who are listening on Spotify. I want you to comment if you're watching this or listening because I want to know if the Blazers, who are currently down, what are they down? It's 1-1 or are they down 2-1? 2-1. They're down 2-1 right now. If the Blazers lose in the first round to the Denver Nuggets, who don't have Jamal Murray, what does that do to the 
the stock, the status, the legend, whatever you want to call it, of Damian Lillard. A guy that they, they've never won the, the championship. They've never made it to the finals. You know, the, the kid shoots the lights out, all that, but they just don't win the big games when they get there. And now, yeah, obviously it's only 2-1. They could come back and win. But if they do lose to Denver and they lose in the first round to a Jamal Murray-less Denver Nuggets, I mean, the other night he got shut down by Aaron Gordon. It reminded yes. me of when, you know, when uh, Miami put LeBron James on Derrick Rose. He just big-bodied him and took everything out of him. What does that do to Damian Lillard? Is he still considered, you know, a top – some people say he's the best point guard in the NBA. I'm not one of those people. But is he stay, okay. you know, a top three point guard in the NBA? Or does this diminish – will this diminish what people consider him and who they consider him to be if they lose to a team that doesn't have their starting point guard? Uh, see, that's a tough question, Vince. What I'm going to say is – Damian Lillard is an excellent shooter. Hands yes. down, I don't think that's anything anybody would know. No, make. he definitely is. Excellent shooter, but here's my issue with it. It's almost I want to I don't want to make a comparison in the players, but the situations when I say this. Mm -hmm. It's almost a similar situation to what you had with James Harden when he was on the Houston Rockets. In the sense that you've got a guy that's lights out at the guard position you know, can hit the deep three, can run it up the middle of the court, no issues, knows how to pass well enough to get the job done. But at the end of the day, what are you are, what are you doing to your team to bring them up to that next level to make them win? Because the point guard is supposed to be the leader of the team, right? That's supposed to be your leader. And he's supposed to be able to facilitate the offense. And really what that comes down to is – bringing guys around you up to your level. You know, there, there's a saying either either you bring people up to your level or they bring you down to theirs. And it's kind of that mentality a little bit when it comes to uh, Dame Lillard's quote-unquote legacy. I don't know if we want to say legacy, but his, yeah, his career trajectory. Was that I was looking for. His career trajectory, let's say. I think it does hurt it a little bit if they do lose in the first round here to the Nuggets without Jamal Murray, just yeah. because that's you're not playing a top-tier team. And if you are, quote-unquote, wanting to be a top-tier team, then you need to get better. Well, the team itself at, needs to be better. You know, I compare it to because a lot of people compare him to Steph Curry. Look right. Steph Curry this year, he had no Clay Thompson. He had James Weissman, who had a horrible rookie season. Kelly yes. Oubre, halfway through the year, he hadn't made anything but a dunk. You right. know, he had a lot of problems there in Golden State, but you you see Steph Curry go on a absolute historic run yes. in production with really not much around him. I mean, you've got Andrew Wiggins, who has been moved off of every team he's been on. You've got Kelly Oubre, who has never been more than – you know, a, a big time defender who could hit a shot here or there. Right. You know, Steph, not only was he putting up, you know, 35, 40 points a game, hitting 10, 11 threes, but he also is averaging seven, eight assists a game. So he's getting others involved. And, you know, I, to me, I think all those questions that a lot of people had of, you know, is Steph as good as everybody thinks he is? Is he just a shooter? I think the, the opposite of what Damian Lillard's done this year. I think Steph Curry has done all that to to solidify himself as the guy, as that dude that is the best point guard in the NBA.
I, I would agree with you there. And I think that, you know, with Damian Lillard, I would take him on the Bulls tomorrow. Don't oh, get absolutely. me wrong. A- absolutely. Absolutely. 110%. But I think he just needs to be a little bit more of a facilitator. He does like to force things down the stretch a little bit. And that's the competitive nature. You can't fault the guy for it. But it comes it comes down to it, you know, like our guy Angelo here saying in the chat. The NBA is a two-star game. I would argue it's really a three-star game. I was See, that's why you're my boy. That's <laughs> why you're my boy right there. I was just going to say you I have to disagree. That doesn't happen often, but I have to disagree with Angelo. I feel it's a three-star league. You you look at the Bulls. They got two stars, but they're they're not ready to compete. You need a third one. But, you know, you you get you almost think you have to wonder the GM of Portland, you know, what has he done to help Dame? You know, I'm very, Not I'm much. very critical of, of Dame Lillard, but what have they done to put around him to win? They got Carmelo Anthony. I mean, okay. That was Carmelo about Anthony's three like years too years old now. You know, you didn't get He's the, not the quite that Carmelo old. Anthony. You know, you got Hassan Whiteside last year, had a tremendous year, and then you didn't even bring him back. You let him walk a free agency. You know, I, right. they, I just don't think they've put the pieces around him. C.J. McCollum, you know, they play well off each other because they both can handle the ball and they both shoot. But I feel like right. if they had, a, you know, just a, a facilitator, a, just a straight facilitator that wasn't looking to get, you know, create their own shot, that they could have somebody control the ball where Dane could play off the ball. Or if you had, a, you know, you could work it into the post and kick it, could it work it inside out where you got it down low and now you kick it out to Dame, stuff like that. You know, so I just – I don't want to spend a lot of time on Dame Lillard, but I just – I don't think that they've done a lot to help him, nor do I think he's done anything. And like I said, if they lose to this Denver team, which one of my favorite players in the NBA is is uh, Jokic. So I'm cool with the Denver. Joker. Him, but if you lose to Denver without Jamal Murray, you can't tell me he's the best point guard in the NBA. And before we get off the Luka thing, can you, I heard this on ESPN. They were talking about the the legacies and going for the successions. And somebody called yep. in and they said, "Can you imagine the succession in Dallas that went from Dirk Nowitzki to Luka Doncic? Wild man! Really I mean, wild. especially for two foreign guys like that. Like that's really is really something. Oh, absolutely! Before we wrap up the NBA here, real quick, I want to touch on one final uh, playoff point here. You talked about it a little bit earlier." The New York Knicks. We got our guy, our hometown hero, so to speak, that left us, Derrick Rose, as well as I believe Taj Gibson's out there on the Knicks with Coach Tibbs. He is. It's the New York Bulls. <laughs> Pretty much, man. <laughs> but really quick, I just I want to know, are you rooting for the Knicks just because Derrick Rose is on that team and you want to see him succeed? I'll be honest. I got no horses in this race. I enjoy watching good basketball. I enjoy watching teams like Phoenix and Atlanta and the Knicks, these teams that are legendary franchises that have been bad for a long time. To see all yes. three of them in the playoffs this year has been very cool. You know, I know I'm we, – we talked about this before our, our show. I know I'm just a little bit older than you. And a little bit. The, the Dominique Wilkins and – the Patrick Ewings and John Starks for the Knicks and, you know, obviously Barkley and even more to your time, the, the Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire sons. Oh, you yeah. Know, as good as they were to see them finally be good again, it's pretty cool. But to answer your question, yes, I'm a huge Derrick Rose fan. 
I want Derek to succeed in everything he does. Did I like the way a lot of things went with his brother here? No, I didn't. But I still feel Derek's from here, and I he gave his body for this city. He gave his his career for this city to. If you really want to think about it, I mean, I know he's made a comeback. Um, so yes, I am rooting for the Knicks. I hope they come out of the East. Um, in a perfect world for me, it's going to be the Knicks in Denver because I like Jokic and I like watching them. And you know, it, every time I watch Denver be really, really good, it makes me think that AK helped build that. And maybe, maybe just maybe that's where we're going is to that level. Um, we're in that direction. Your, but to your point about the Knicks, I'm a big Derrick Rose fan. I'm a big Tibbs guy. I thought Tibbs got a real bad rap when he was here. You know, everybody loved Absolutely. Tibbs when they were winning every year. But then Derrick gets hurt and Tibbs and Jimmy aren't getting along. And, you know, all of a sudden a lot of guys are, you know, well, Tibbs this and Tibbs that. And I've just always been a big Tibbs guy. I think he uh, – you know, it happened in Minnesota. I think Jimmy got exposed a little bit for being a little bit of a diva that nobody knew he was. Um, you know, I just think I think Tibbs is a hell of a coach, and you see what he's doing with this New York Knicks team. It's like a guy like Julius Randle, who everybody said, man, he's you know was the first round pick with the Lakers. I think he was third overall, something like that. Yep, third and he overall. Just never turned out to be anything, and now you see him as the centerpiece of this Knicks team. You know, you you. It reminds me, and obviously they're not to that level. Maybe they will make a run in this playoffs, but it reminds me of the Dirk Nowitzki Dallas Mavericks that took out Miami. You know, it was a one-star team. Obviously, Julius Randle isn't even to that level yet of stardom, but right. that speaks even more volume that you have no stars on this team. Yeah, we you think of Derrick Rose and some of these guys as stars, but not superstars in the NBA. Right. To see what they're doing just out of sheer drive and just wanting to win is pretty fun to watch. Oh, absolutely. I would agree. And I was a huge Derrick Rose fan. I mean, obviously, I was I was young when the 90s Bulls teams were out there winning. I was I was fortunate enough to get to see, you know, and really understand the second three peat there. But then when the Bulls were making their playoff run there with Derrick Rose and they're playing the Celtics in that heartbreaking series, that's yeah. that's when I fell in love with basketball again. And I will always I will always uh, have a special place in my mind for Derrick Rose because he did lay his body out for the city of Chicago, and I wish him nothing but the best in his career. Absolutely. Real, real quick, guys, before we wrap things up here, we've got – a quick Cubs bite to talk about when we come back, but we're going to take a quick word from the White Oak Farm venue. Honey, will you marry me? Yes, yes, yes! Let's Let's get out of here. here. Come to Indiana's premier venue. Come to the farm. Come see all the wildlife. Come to White Oak Farm venue in Michigan City, Indiana. Come to our 80-acre sanctuary right off I-94 in Michigan City, Indiana. Come see all we have to offer from two brand-new Amish-built barns with climate control. Come see the ponds with beautiful waterfalls, meadows and wildflowers, and so much more. Come see our secluded venue. After you enter our private road, you'll be in your own world away from it all. With outdoor ceremony spaces, wood-fired pizza ovens, and lots of fresh air. 
Come enjoy Northwest Indiana's premier wedding venue, where you gather with your family and friends, stretch your legs, and enjoy the most memorable day of your life. Visit White Oak Farm Venue at whiteoakfarmvenue.com or on Facebook slash Instagram. All right, guys, again, that was a quick word from the White Oak Farm Venue Beautiful venue. If you guys are looking to get married or host a big event, definitely be sure to reach out to them. Vince, before we close this show out, bro, there's one thing that I have to talk about. I've been waiting for this all show. And I hinted at it earlier today. The thing that Tony LaRusse is writing an unwritten rule about in his head right now. The play by Javi Baez, man. Let's just let's break it down for those that didn't see the play. I'm sure everybody saw it. I can't even say for those that didn't see it because it was all over everywhere. Everybody saw the little trickery that Javi Baez had there. So he hits a ball to the third baseman. Third baseman. Two, out, two outs in the inning. Two out situation. He hits a ball to the third baseman. Third baseman tosses it over to first. First baseman is off the bag, makes the catch. Javi's running at him. And he kind of stutters a little bit and starts running back towards home plate. He runs all the way back towards home plate. Meanwhile, the runner from third scores because it was too late for the first baseman to toss the ball home. And then Javi turns around and sprints to first, makes it to first. There's a botched throw, ends up getting up and running all the way to second base. That's once in a lifetime type generational play right there that you're you're never going to see that again, but just the energy, the perspective that that brought to that game. Oh my God, man. I mean, night and day, that game was not very exciting up until that point. And you saw it electrified the whole dugout. It brought the Cubs team up, rallied them. Just a phenomenal play. But what were your thoughts on that, Vince? So first off, I didn't realize how many people it affected and how many people really were excited by it until just right now when you started talking about it. And I thought back in my head that not only did I wear Chicago Cubs today to work, but four other people did as well. And I'm going to just go on women say that that's directly in response to Javi Baez and his play. You know, I, so I shared it on Facebook as soon as I saw it, because I was at work yesterday when it happened. So I didn't see it live. So I share it, and my beautiful fiance Melissa, has played softball her whole life. She's a big baseball fan. The first right. thing she said to me was, is that even legal? Can he get the pickle between home and first? Absolutely and, can. And I said, you know what? I think he had never seen it before because all the first baseman had to do was put his foot on the bag. Step on first. I get it. He came off the base to tag Javi. But when Javi started running to home, A, just turn and step on the base. But then it goes farther than that. When you've now run Javi all the way back to home and the runner comes running in from third and you realize you're not going to get him out, just turn and go back to first and step on first. And that run doesn't count. Because it's still a force at first. So even though the run crossed the plate, you still just have to step on first. And none of it matters anyways. 
But that then to compound it by turning and throwing the ball in the dirt from, and I know you're a first baseman or a catcher, you, you know, you, you're just, oh my God, what's going on? But to then throw the ball in the right field, <laughs> which then the right fielder threw it to third base. <laughs> yes. I mean, which allowed Javi to get you know, to second. Obviously, it's hard to say it was a smart play by Javi because. Honestly, there's so many things that they could have done to not allow it to be good for the Cubs. But when you see the things he's done, scoring from first on hits, just what he does, the the thought process at all to even run towards home, just to distract them long enough, that then all you have to do is throw the ball to home. As great of a play, great as a play as you want to call it for Javi, it was that dumb of a play by Pittsburgh. And it, it was shows a horrible you why play. Pittsburgh is so bad. All you have to do is step on first. I help coach 12U softball. We tell them all the time the play is at first. It's right. It, common knowledge. The ground ball comes to you. The throw comes to you. Turn and step on first base. You have one job. One job as a first baseman. And he did none of it. None of I, it. And it shows why the yeah. Pittsburgh Pirates are as trash as they are. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, as much as I love it as a Cub fan, I can't give Javi credit for it because it was so bad by Pittsburgh that it's that bad. You can't even tell, say anything good about it. Yeah, I agree. I'm in the same boat there. I mean, it was a wild. I don't want to say trick play. It's not a trick play. It was, it was a wild play, but it was wild because the Pirates didn't make the right decision. <laughs> right, like you said, catch the ball, turn and step on the bag. The inning's over. Right, there was that's already it. two outs. I don't even know why he ran after him. And that's the it's situational baseball, and that's the instinct. I mean, you know, you said you highlighted on it that the play's always at first. That's ninety percent of the time. That's the case in major league baseball it's a force out situation you should I, you should have been taught this from a youth age i mean that's not look, that's I a trash play by the second because i don't know if you saw what i just put up on our screen i think it was the best comment we've ever gotten on this show or on any 1252 show for that at all our guy angelo thinks that the three of us should go coach the pirates i'm telling you I'm going to one-up him. The three of us should go play for the Pittsburgh Pirates because I promise you if I'm playing first base, I'm stepping on the bag. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not <laughs> wrong at all. Oh, my God, man. Just yeah, it was, it was great on Javi's part. His IQ is very insane. I mean, but realistically – Turn around, step on the bag, the fucking inning's over. What are right, you doing? Right. You made I mean, yourself really be honest. You made yeah. yourself look like an ass all over national television right. because that was the number one play on sports. And not and- just him, the first baseman, the catcher, the second right. baseman, the, the right, right fielder, field. the shortstop, all of them. You yeah, half of your team looked like dumbasses for right. an entire it play. Looked, it looked like a little kid snowball fight. Exactly. So as great as it was to see Javi pull something out of nothing there, man, know your baseball fundamentals. Know your 101. You know what? In the word of our guy, Tibbs, do your job. Absolutely. (laughs) Man, Vince, it's been a great show. We got a lot of talking. Great guest with Coach Ho. Uh, Great talk with NBA. And nice to wrap it up there with a little bit of a bright spot with the first place Cubs. Yeah, right. The first place Cubs. So, I mean, if nothing else, it's cool to say the first place Cubs. 
we might not be able to say it for long, but hey, we can say it right now. Let's say it. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, I want to thank all of our sponsors here. None of this would be possible without you guys. Right. So we appreciate you. We appreciate you viewers for jumping in the chat with us tonight and being interactive. Uh, it's been a great show. Looking forward to doing it again next week. Y'all have a good night. Thank <music> you.